listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, it should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Today, I'd like to talk to you about forgiveness. Now, Jesus just got done teaching us how to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And what do we conclude? That forgiven people do what? Forgive people. That's right. Forgiven people forgive people. So why, why bring up forgiveness yet again. I think one reason to bring it up again is that it's, it's one thing to pray and ask for help to forgive others. It's a whole other thing to have a posture of forgiveness towards others, to actually live a life of forgiveness, isn't it? And Jesus, while he's sitting on this hillside with his brand new followers, he wants to make sure that, he's, that they are comprehending what he is saying when he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he puts it somewhat bluntly. He says this, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's prayer. If you don't forgive others, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Why aren't we able to forgive? Why is it so hard for you to forgive? I think perhaps we aren't able to forgive is because the problem isn't so much with the way that folks hurt us. There's a deeper problem, and I believe it's our ignorance of what God has done for us in Christ, despite what we have done to him. The problem isn't so much how others have hurt us when it comes to forgiveness. The problem lies in we don't realize how much God has forgiven us of our own trespasses. And I'm convinced that the more that we rejoice in our own forgiveness vertically, the quicker we are to extend forgiveness horizontally. The more we rejoice in our forgiveness from our Father, the more quicker we are to extend forgiveness to others. However, our lack of forgiveness reveals not only the weight of our own sin but reveals the lack of our awareness of how much God has forgiven us in Christ. See, the point that Jesus is going to make, again, if you didn't hear it two weeks ago, you'll hear it today. The point is, forgiven people forgive people. That's the point for today. 
And we'll ascend the summit of this mount with Jesus as we look from two vistas, two vantage points here. We're going to look from the vantage point of, first, the forgiven, and second, from the vantage point of the unforgiven. You all ready to dive in? First point, the forgiven. Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, we, we come to a passage like this, and we say, what's up with this? I thought it was salvation by grace, not salvation by my works. It seems like Jesus is saying, God will forgive me based on my ability to forgive others. Doesn't it seem like that's what he is saying? But we have to remember the context. Who is Jesus talking to? Who is he talking to? His followers. And what does his followers have already done? Matthew 4.15. They've already repented of their sins and Christ has forgiven them. Jesus has already done for them what they could not do for themselves. Provide forgiveness of sins for their eternal weight of debt. That's who we have on this hillside. They did not turn to works in order for Jesus to forgive them. They turned to Jesus to do the work for them in order to forgive them. And what did Jesus do? He welcomed them. He loved them. He accepted them. He forgave them. You see, a forgiving heart is not a prereq for God to forgive you. Can somebody say amen? But a forgiving posture is a result of experiencing God's transforming forgiveness. But what is forgiveness? How would you define it? Forgiveness is choosing to love somebody as if they did not sin against you. Forgiveness is committing to not to seek revenge. Forgiveness resolves not to oppress those who have oppressed you. Forgiveness means we will not hurt others regardless of how much they have hurt us. Regardless of how you've been treated by others, a Christian's aim, the forgiven's aim, is to forgive others just as Christ has forgiven us. Look at what he, Paul writes in Ephesians 4.31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Read this with me. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ says, I will not count your wrongs against you, but I will forgive you. Jesus says, go and do likewise. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, instead of doing the same evil that you did to me, I seek to do good to you. For isn't that what Christ has done for us? The gospel of Jesus Christ says, just as I have not held you liable for your wrongs, the death you deserve, the loss of relationship you deserve with the Father in heaven, but instead of forgiven you, Go and do likewise to others. Do not kill the relationship 
but welcome them back in as God in Christ has forgiven you. I read this story last week in an article by Sam Storms. It's about a a woman named Jackie. She's a a missionary to Asia. And she met this guy, I want to get his name right, Ah Ping. Ah Ping, at the age of 12, joined this gang called the Triads. The Triads controlled all of the crime in the Hong Kong area. And in order to keep your finances stable as a gang member, you had to steal rape, and then prostitute out young women at the age of 14. Now Jackie would go to this gang all the time to minister to them, to love them, to be kind to them. And Ah Ping says, what are you doing with us? We don't want your kindness. We don't want your love. We don't want your mercy. Don't you realize we are going to do the exact same thing to you that we are doing to this woman over here? Why don't you just go to someone who will appreciate that type of mercy, appreciate that type of love? Why do you care about us, he says. So Jackie, she responds, I stay because that's what Jesus did for me. I didn't want him either. But he didn't wait till I got good and wanted him. He died for me while I was still his hateful enemy. He loved me and forgave me, and he loves you and wants to forgive you too. And Ah Ping's like, no, 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 no way. There's no way that someone would love us like that. We rape, we fight, we stab, we steal. Nobody could love us. And she explains to him that, yes, Jesus does not love what you do. But Jesus has chosen to love you in spite of what you do. He's not waiting for you to clean yourself up in order to forgive you. He has promised to meet you where you are to forgive you to then not leave you where you are. And in that moment, Ah Ping was cut to the core, sat down on the street corner, received Christ. And only months later, he then began to get beaten with bats by his former gang members. And all of his friends said, seek revenge. Hurt them. Do to them what they did to you. And this is his response. No, I'm Christ's now. I don't fight back with the same way they fight with me. I forgive them. What transformed Ah Ping? What made him so ready to forgive his enemies? It's because he realized that Christ Jesus absorbed all of his wrongs, absorbed all all of his hurt, absorbed all of his sin and shame, not at the cost of Ah-Ping's life, but the cost of Jesus' life. And so what is forgiveness? It's deciding to live with the painful consequence of another person's sin. Do you hear that? Forgiveness is deciding to live with the painful consequences of another person's sins. It's deciding not to hold over them what they have done to you. But you might say, well, then how many times should I forgive somebody? 
How many times should I forgive somebody if they keep sinning against me and sinning against me, hurting me and hurting me? That's a great question. You know, Jesus' disciples asked him that same question. Look what Peter asks in Matthew chapter 18. I believe this will be up on the screen for you. Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Look what Jesus says. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Seven is this numerical example of perfection. What Jesus is telling Peter is perfect forgiveness has no limits. Forgiveness has no limits. If we've been forgiven at the price and the suffering and the death of Jesus, and he keeps forgiving us for the countless times we sin against him, why do we not forgive like this as well? Hear me, church. God's forgiveness for you has no limits. It's boundless. How are we to forgive? As Christ forgave us. When we are able to see that we often, maybe it's just me, that I often repeat the same sins, external sins, internal sins, over and over again, and what's waiting for me? Not condemnation, not the Lord canceling me, but forgiveness and welcome. That's how often I am to forgive others. And you might say, but what about those who keep hurting me, but they don't recognize they're hurting me? What about those who never ask for forgiveness? Am I still supposed to forgive them? Well, one, if you look at this command in verse 14, there's no conditions, right? It doesn't say, if you forgive others who confess to you. It just says, if you forgive others their trespasses. And Jesus says a similar thing in Mark chapter 11, verse 25. He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. You know who's not present while we're praying? The person who has sinned against us. And what does Jesus say? As you stand praying, what is it? Forgive. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Forgiveness begins before they come to you and confess. Forgiveness begins before they're even aware that they've sinned against you. Forgive them just as your Father has forgiven you. Why? Because it is a contradiction to say my only hope in this life and the next is the forgiveness found in Christ Jesus and then refuse to extend that same forgiveness to others. When you refuse to extend that same forgiveness to others, you're really just believing the second point, that you are actually unforgiven. Look what we read in verse 15. 
But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus refuses to pull punches here. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. And this isn't earning God's forgiveness. It's evidence that you haven't experienced God's forgiveness. I mean, think of it this way. How many of y'all have had a garden this past summer? Anyone have a garden? Whether it's a tiny little potted garden with some basil and parsley, or it's a big raised garden in your backyard. How do you know that your plants in the garden are healthy? How do you know? By the produce it produces, right? Whether it's a cucumber, whether it's raspberries or berries, you know that there is life in the plant because of the fruit or the veg that is on that plant. Now recognize that the berry does not give life to the plant. It's evidence that there is life in the plant. But there's no berries. Or they're damaged and rotted. It's evidence that the plant is not healthy. See, if there's no forgiveness in a person's life who claims to be a Christian, chances are that person is not a Christian. Because where there is no fruit of forgiveness, there is no root of forgiveness in Christ. The fruit does not give life to the tree. It proves that there is life in the tree. Because those who have experienced the transforming power of God's forgiveness, what does it produce? Forgiveness towards others who deserve it? No, nobody deserves forgiveness. Nobody does. That's why forgiveness is grace. That's why forgiveness is mercy. And sure, maybe you can say the words, yeah, I I know God has forgiven me, but you don't know what they have done to me. You don't know the pain they have caused me. You don't know the hurt that still remains in my life because of what they did to me. Anyone who says that knows nothing of what they've done to Christ. And yet God still forgives them. And some might say, well, I can't forgive them. Because I'm not emotionally ready to. I don't feel it. Forgiveness is not primarily nor originally an emotion. Forgiveness is granted before it is experienced. Forgiveness is practiced before it is felt, not felt before it is practiced. And when you practice forgiveness, do you know what it does? It starts chipping away at the anger and the bitterness inside of that heart. It begins to change you before you expect somebody else to change Forgiveness is practiced before it is felt, not felt before it is practiced. The Dr. Keller from New York City, he writes this, therefore, forgiveness is always costly. Can somebody say costly? Therefore, forgiveness is always costly to the forgiver, but the profits 
at least within your heart, and at best in the restoration of the relationship, outweigh the cost. And you might say, fine, fine, Rob, I'll say I forgive them. I forgive them, but I want nothing to do with them anymore. I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. I mean, you're asking me to put myself in harm's way again. You're asking me to experience that emotional trauma yet again. You're asking way too much of me. The Dr. King would say this. We can never say, I will forgive you, but I won't have anything further to do with you. Why? Because forgiveness means reconciliation and coming together again. Do you see what Dr. King is saying? What I'm saying, what Jesus is saying? Forgiveness is not something we only profess. It's something we practice. There's a difference between professing forgiveness and practicing forgiveness. Professing the words of forgiveness is one thing. Practicing the works of forgiveness is a whole other thing. You with me? Words is just sentiment. But practicing, practicing is sacrificial movement towards others. Professing I forgive you is easy, but practicing forgiveness requires effort. Professing sounds good. It's performative. It's what y'all do on Twitter and Instagram all the time. But actually moving towards someone, saying, I want to live with you in the same way we lived before as if you never sinned against me, is scandalous to a watching world. It is an upside-down kingdom. It has no place in the rest of the world because they don't know what to do when somebody forgives others who have hurt them or even killed their loved ones. I mean, you can just watch how this value is fading from our culture. It's what the whole cancel culture is built upon. You even see it in journalists. When families respond to murderers and rapists with, I forgive you. The journalists are claiming they're enabling the oppressor, the abuser, to keep on doing what they're doing. They say what, what is needed is not forgiveness. What is needed is justice. But I want to put before you to never, to never pit forgiveness against justice. Justice without forgiveness is injustice. Why? Because you will require the person to hurt more than they hurt you if you do not forgive them. See, what our culture, what maybe many of you fail to see, is that failing to forgive changes you. Failing to forgive changes you. Do you, do you remember the, the parable of the unforgiving servant? Right? The unforgiving servant was forgiven much by the king. 
And then what did he in his unforgiveness go and do to his servant who owed him little? Choked him. Beat him. Threw him in jail. Not forgiving has a greater cost than forgiving. While you might not physically assault somebody, maybe you will. Maybe I'm giving you guys the benefit of the doubt here. Maybe you will punch somebody in the nose. Chances are you won't. What is assaulting your heart is bitterness and a warped sense of justice. And it's consuming your mind. It's like a feedback loop. Replaying that video of that offense over and over again. Anybody like me? Where you just keep playing that video. You move into the courtroom. You are the juror. You are the judge. You are the lawyer. But canceling a debt and absorbing the cost will hurt. But this parable shows that not forgiving has a great cost as well. And Jesus says your hardness of heart will end up in a life of hell. God will not forgive you. Not forgiving produces greater injustice. You make them hurt worse than they hurt you. You take from them more than they take from you. You make them pay. We're done. I don't want you around anymore. Why? Isn't it because you view their wrongs against you as worse than your wrongs against the Father in heaven? Your law has been broken. Your holiness has been tainted. Your ways have been ignored. So you punish them. unmercifully because we believe our standard is greater than the standard of a holy perfect benevolent merciful and gracious god we essentially say to someone that if that that we f- refuse to forgive is I'm refusing to reconcile with you. I'm refusing to let you back into my life. In order to be in my circle, you have to live up to my standard. And if you do not live up to my standard, you're done. You're cut off. I mean, have you stopped forgiving? Because you've stopped being honest with yourself. You stop viewing yourself rightly. That your sins against the holy God far outweigh anyone's sins against you. That when you require someone else to work for your forgiveness, you are entering back into a salvation by works. That God forgave you because of how great you are. And what you're doing you're not only excluding others from the community of humans, you're excluding yourself from the community of sinners. That's what Miroslav Volf writes. 
He says, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. He calls this the the double exclusion. He says, but no one can be in the presence of the God of the crucified Messiah for long without overcoming this double exclusion. You see, forgiveness requires humility about who we are. We're not perfect. We wrong others just as they wrong us. The only way you can stay embittered and have an unforgiving posture towards others is if you see yourself as superior to them. I would never do what they did to me to anyone else. What's at the root of unforgiveness? Superiority. Pride. Anytime you utter the words, I can't believe You're essentially saying, I would never act like that. I'm beyond that. Those who won't forgive show that they have not accepted the fate of their own sinfulness. I want you to hear me right now. The moment you say, I can't forgive someone because of what they did. You're essentially saying that is an enemy I cannot love. I'm too good. I'm too holy. I'm too set apart to be around the likes of them. They don't deserve my forgiveness. And what you're saying is if you claim the name of Jesus, is that you can no longer follow Jesus and how he forgives. What you are saying is anti-Christ. If you refuse to forgive, you are saying, I am anti-Christ because I refuse to forgive as Jesus has forgiven me. It's a contradiction to expect grace from God and not extend it to others. For what did Jesus do? While you were still his enemy, he forgave you. Jesus not only said, I forgive you, he bled to forgive you. Jesus not only meant it in sentiment, but he meant it in movement when he went to the cross in your place. You know, I recently heard another story about this Turkish officer. If you're familiar with the Turkish and Armenian Wars of 1920, many of the Turkish officers, they would go into the homes of the Armenians. They would kill the aged parents and would keep the daughters for themselves. And this one Turkish officer chose to keep this daughter for himself. You can imagine the atrocities that happened to her. But she escaped, and she later uh, became a nurse in the war. As time passed, she found herself in a ward for fallen Turkish enemies, caring for them. And she came across this one man who she recognized. She saw the face of the officer who raped her and beat her. And he was so ill that if there was not exceptional care and nursing, this man would have died. 
and the days passed, and he did not die. He recovered. And the doctor came to his bedside as he awoke, standing there with the nurse, and he said these words to him, but for her devotion to you, you would be dead. But for her devotion to you, you would be dead. And he looked at this nurse in the eyes and said, haven't we met before? And she responds, yes, we have. Why didn't you kill me? Why didn't you let me die? And she said, I am a follower of him who said, love your enemies. Do you see what she realized? That while she was an enemy of God, while she was dead in her trespasses and sins, if it wasn't for the devotion of Jesus, she would be dead. If it wasn't for the devotion of Jesus, we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins, church. And what is a trespass? What does it mean when we trespass? It means we cross over a boundary that is not ours. And that is what we do when we hurt others. When we hurt others with our volition, when we hurt others verbally with our words, when we hurt others emotionally, and when we sin against our God verbally, volitionally, and even emotionally, we have crossed a boundary and we have broken our Father's heart. And he has every right to cast us out, like he did with Adam and Eve in the beginning of the greatest story ever told. That when they trespassed against God's boundaries to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did he do? He cast them out of the garden. But hear this good news. We are not being cast out. We are not being cast out of the walls of the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus was cast out. Where was Jesus crucified? Not within the holy city of Jerusalem, not within the holy temple, but he was cast out to the outer rims, to the hill of Golgotha, to the place of the skulls, to die outside of the camp so that you and I can be welcomed in, so that he could take the penalty for our sin, for our trespasses, so that we can be reconciled, so that we can become children of God, so that you and I can be forgiven. And when God welcomes us back in, he just doesn't welcome us back in to put up with us. He welcomes us back in to reconcile us. To love us just as if we have never sinned. Because Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that you and I can become the righteousness of God. And this is not done by how well you forgive others. Amen? This is done by how well God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. It's not by works you're saved, but by grace through faith. And he has forgiven us. He calls us friends. And Jesus, from that cross, you know what he does? He offers us forgiveness before we ever ask for it. He says from the cross, forgive them, Father. They know not what they are doing. Jesus offers forgiveness, not as a sentiment, but a sacrifice. Jesus offers forgiveness even before you are ever aware of it. What good news. And some of you right now might be saying, Rob, 
I am terrible at forgiving. I'm terrible at forgiving others. What's left for me? Will God forgive me? Let us not forget the opening line of this sermon. Blessed are the strong in spirit, rich in spirit, poor, poor in spirit. When you recognize you're unable to forgive as Christ has given, forgiven you, you know what that does? It drives you back to the prayer that he just taught us to pray. It drives you back to the prayer. God, you are holy. God, I need your kingdom to come into my life so that your will would be done in my life so I can forgive others as you have forgiven me. This is the good news of the gospel. You are not saved by how well you forgive others but you're saved by how well Jesus has forgiven you. Now, go and do likewise. Forgiven people forgive people. Amen?